For those of you who are visiting with us today, I want to let you know we are in week three of our four-month series called TGIF. It's not what you think. It's a, it's a series on truth, godliness, influence, and finishing. And each month, we're going to focus in on one of those uh, topics. And today, we are diving deeper into truth. I want to offer you this thought. No matter what is going on around you, no matter what's happening in our community, no matter what's happening in our state, no matter what's going on in our country, no matter what's going on in our world, we need to reflect Christ and we need to reflect the truth found in His Word. We do not need to be distracted with things like anger and, and hate and some of the stuff that's happening in our world today. Because the only way that we can reflect Christ, even during times of grief, hurt, anger, frustration, confusion, the only way we can reflect Christ during those times is if we are primarily concerned with studying the example of Jesus during the other times in our lives. I believe that Jesus is the Word of God. I believe He's the Spirit of prophecy. I believe He is God in the flesh. I believe those to be true. And so if we are looking for some guidance on what is truth and how we can reflect His truth, we should look to God's Word. Not just open it and look at it, but look to how how we can relate to it, how we should look to Jesus Himself. And today as we look at truth, we're going to look at what Jesus thought about the Word of God the Bible. We're going to look at what Jesus thought to be true about himself. And then as I close out, I'm going to look to what Jesus thought to be true about you and I. You see, there's a lot that could be said about what Jesus believed about the Bible. And I wanted to focus on these three statements this morning. Uh, First off, I believe that Jesus believed the Old Testament was decisive and binding. Okay. Now, stay with me. Back then, it wasn't called the Old Testament. It was usually referred to as like the law and the prophets or something like that. But just for simplicity's sake, that's what I want you to understand is that Jesus believed the Old Testament was authoritative, it was decisive, and it was binding. That matters because we live in a world where a lot of people think or say or believe, well, the New Testament, it's, it's the New Testament we have to follow. And I'm going to get into that. But Jesus believed this. He believed the Old Testament was decisive and binding. He believed also that the apostles were speaking and acting on his behalf. And Jesus believed that he was the climax and the focus of all Scripture. The first thing I want you to understand is right here. Jesus believed the Old Testament was authoritative, decisive, and binding. I think one of the best ways that we can learn what Jesus believed about the Bible is to observe how he used the Bible in his earthly life and in his ministry. It's a great example. In John 10, I'm going to give you some references, and there's also going to be some verses that come up. Um, I'm going to share a lot of different things today, so you should have done your finger exercises this morning as we're going to flip through the Bible. But in John chapter 10, Jesus is engaged in a heated exchange with kind of a hostile Jewish crowd. Uh, They were all worked up because Jesus has just made this claim, and it was very controversial. He actually said in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. Everyone gasp. Go ahead. Oh, that was nice. I should have cue cards. Gasp, applaud, awe. You know, but he, every, he said this. He said, I and the Father are one. And that was what people did. Like, it was, oh, you can't say that. That's a bold statement. And the Jews reacted probably like you just did. But then the scripture tells us they reacted in anger. I mean, can you blame them though? After all, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, to state the obvious, 
If there's only one God, then how can Jesus and the Father both be God? And at first glance, that seems like a very solid point. The Jews obviously sought, or they thought that they thought so. And John 10.31 says this, The Jews picked up stones again to stone him after he said that. After he said that he and, the, and God are one, they picked up stones again, which means they had already wanted to stone him before because they're doing it again. They picked up stones again. But as we read a little farther into this passage in John chapter 10, verse 32 and 30, through 38, look at how Jesus answered. Now picture this. They're all holding rocks. Pick up your rock, because Jesus just said, there it is, hold it in your hand. You don't have your rock. Pick up your rock and hold it in your hand. Pick up your rock. Come on now. It, there you go. Hold that rock. Get a big rock. A little rock. In your, there you go. There's a big rock. Don't point it at me. <laughs> but they're angry. He's just made this claim that he is God, and they're like, no. But Jesus explains to me, he says, he answered me, he says, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Well, they say, well, hold on. It wasn't for the good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. And Jesus answered them. And I think by this time their stones are probably starting to get a little heavy because they had big, they were holding them up. And they, Jesus answered them. He said, is, not, is it not written in your law? I said you are God's. Little g. If he called them God's to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. Now right there, I would like to think that some of them just kind of started putting their rocks down. doesn't say that, but that's how my mind works. And he continues and says, But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. You see, Jesus understood the power of God's Word. And He understood how to use it in a proper context. He also understood that if you're using the Word of God correctly, well, then like in this case, you win the argument. <laughs> the Jews were saying, the Bible teaches there's only one God. You say that you are God, therefore you must be blaspheming. But Jesus says in response that the Bible refers to other people. As God's, like we see in Psalm 82. I want to encourage you to, to read through Psalm 82 this week and make a parallel in what I'm saying. Therefore, the issue is not, do I use the word of God to, do I use the word God to refer to myself? This is Jesus. But I, am I using it properly? And by properly, is Jesus using it biblically? Stay with me. D.A. Carson says in his commentary on John, as Jesus uses this text, the general line of his argument is clear. The scripture proves that the word God is legitimately used to refer to others than God Himself. If there are others whom God, the author of Scripture, can address as God and sons of the Most High, i.e. sons of God, on that biblical basis, should anyone object when Jesus says, I am God's Son? Basically, Jesus is saying to them, you haven't understood the whole Bible in this matter, but I have, and that's what I'm trying to explain to you. He says, I think this is an understanding window into how Jesus understood the Bible. The approach of Jesus in this particular conflict is rooted on this fundamental conviction that Scripture cannot be broken. John chapter 10, verse 35. You see, God's Word is the last Word. And therefore, if you're using the Word of God correctly, it's not about whether you can win the argument, but how you're reflecting Christ to others while you're using His Word. Too often, we want to win the argument. 
We want to tell someone that their belief is wrong. We want to tell someone that, that where they were brought up, their worldview is wrong. We want to win the argument based on God's Word. But the reality, we need to be more like Jesus. We need to be using God's Word to reflect Christ to others. He said the same thing in Matthew chapter 22. It just reference here, but, but look at that yourselves later. He was arguing with the Sadducees, and they came up to him with a made-up question. They were trying to trap Jesus. And they give him this made-up question, and he stops them short, and he says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, he says, you are wrong, and it's not Jesus being arrogant, it's Jesus pointing out the obvious, you are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. And he's talking to an audience that thought they knew everything. And when you, you jump down to Matthew 22, verse 46, the Bible says, and no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> read that whole chapter this week. Because it just, it really, when you read that whole chapter and put it into perspective, it's like, whoa, Jesus knew, not only did he know the Word of God, but he believed it and he lived it. You see, the opponents of Jesus learned an important lesson that day. Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. If you're wondering how this applies to your life, I'm going to help you apply this very thing right now. And what I'm about to tell you is going to offend some people. You ready? Don't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Folks, don't bring your tradition. Don't bring your bigotry. Don't bring your superstition. Don't bring your personal preferences. Don't bring what you want the Bible to say. Don't bring your justification. Don't bring your stupid. Don't bring these things. That's what the Pharisees did. They brought all this stuff. They brought their stupid. They brought their, their bigotry for the people they didn't like, that they didn't think were good enough. And they tried to justify it with Scripture. And Jesus said, no. They brought these things to Jesus. They tried to use them against Him. They tried to re readjust the Word of God. They tried to use these things to change the Word of God. And Jesus said to them that they did not know the Scriptures, or the power of God. We can't bring our superstitions. We can't bring our justifications and the things we do and try to change the Word of God. It doesn't work when we try to do this because the Word of God is what actually wins every time. You see, Jesus believed the Old Testament was authoritative, that it was decisive, that it was binding. It's important for us to know and understand that even in our world today because there are many progressive type Christians that like to style themselves as different things. I, I read an article this last week about a group that calls themselves red letter Christians. That means they only focus on the things that Jesus said. The only, they only focus on the things in the Bible that are in the red letters, the things that Jesus said, because they think those words are more important than the other writings in the Bible. Now, allow me if you would, to use my spiritual gift of stating the obvious. If you buy into this type of thinking, if, if you buy into this type of thinking that it's only the red letters, you're going to have to ignore some really important red letters. <laughs> in Matthew 5.19, for example, Jesus said, in, in red letters, He says this, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. See, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus never told the Jewish people 
to undo the Old Testament. He never told the Jewish people the Old Testament wasn't binding. He never told them that stuff. He never says the Old Testament has no value. In fact, he faced the devil using Deuteronomy chapter 8, specifically verse 3. He faced the Sadducees uh, as they asked him questions, as they tried to manipulate what he was doing and, and, and kind of derail his ministry. He continually he faced the Sadducees with verses from Exodus chapter 3. He faced the Pharisees with Psalms 110. You see, those are just a few examples. Jesus clearly operated in the understanding that the whole Scripture, all of that was the Word of God. And, and what we call the Old Testament, the law and prophets properly understood are binding and decisive. And to be His follower then and to be His follower now requires you to do the same. You can't take your personal ideals and start separating out Scripture. It's not how it was determined. It was not how it was set up to be. The next truth I want to share with you about Jesus is what he believed about the apostles. He believed that the apostles were speaking and acting on his behalf. Near the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus had an important conversation with his disciples. And he told them, he said, he would soon die and rise again. That's good news for us, by the way. And then that he would also ascend into heaven. And preparing them for those events, he said this in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. He said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I want to pause on that for just a second. He says to his disciples, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. They weren't ready. He knew that. What was about to come, he knew with what they were going to see and everything that was going to happen, that they weren't ready. All right? He says to them in verse 13, though, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And verse 15 says, All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus said he had more to say to his disciples. He had more for his disciples. He said he had, he had more than he had said in his earthly ministry. And he also made it clear that after ascending into heaven, he would send down the Holy Spirit to help them out. The Spirit of truth who would take from Jesus and give to the disciples so that they could flesh out the complete revelation of God. I like what J.I. Packer comments on this passage in his commentary. He says, He had promised the twelve that the Spirit should come to teach them what his own earthly ministry he had left unsaid. And he kept his promise so that the apostolic teaching was in reality the complete and final version of his own. Uh, you could say this brings about an interesting point of fact. There really are no red letters. There is only the Word of God. There is what the Father wants to be said as passed on to the Son, as passed on through the Spirit, as terminating in the apostles and the Word of God. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 40, whoever receives you, receives me. Whoever receives me, excuse me, whoever receives uh, me, receives him who sent me. Brothers and sisters, let me say it this way. When it comes to the word of God, there is a line and it stretches back from the apostles to Jesus to the Father and you accept it all or you reject it all. You don't get to take the truth of God's word and just pick it apart to make your life comfortable. You don't get to pick and choose what you like. You don't, you don't get to have a smaller Bible than what God intended for us to have. 
Jesus believed the Old Testament was the Word of God, and Jesus believed that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the words of the apostles were the Word of God. And I'm here to tell you the truth. Scripture cannot be broken. Jesus believed that the Old Testament is authoritative, decisive, and binding. He believed that the apostles were speaking on His behalf, and Jesus believed that He was the fulfillment and focus of all Scripture. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus believed that the entire Old Testament was preparing people for and pointing people towards his own life and ministry. Think about it this way. Jesus is saying to them, why do you think God had you killing pigeons and doves and goats and lambs? Why do you think Jesus had that, or God had that sacrificial system in place? Why do you think he was doing that? He was doing that because he wanted you to understand that sin leads to death. And he wanted to prepare you to recognize and worship me. That's what Jesus is essentially saying here. Most of the Jews in Jesus' day didn't see that. John the Baptist saw it. I talked about that with you. I shared that truth last week. He saw Jesus, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, John said in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist knew what Jesus was saying. John got it. He understood the whole Old Testament sacrificial system was trying to say three basic things to a very stubborn people. God is holy. Sin is serious. And people need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior, in case you're wondering. John saw that. He saw the whole thing. He saw the whole sacrificial system landing on Jesus Christ. He saw the whole of Scripture pointing people and driving people towards Jesus. It took a while for the disciples to get to that same place, even after the resurrection. One of my favorite stories is that they're walking on the road to Emmaus. They still hadn't connected all the dots and Jesus obscures his appearance and he comes alongside them and he gave them what I like to call a master's level course in Christian hermeneutics. Luke 24 verse 27 says this, and this is what Jesus taught them. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. He taught them how to read through the Old Testament. He taught them, he showed them that it lands climatically on the person and work of Jesus. It was a labor and it was a miracle. Luke goes on to say in the same chapter in verse 45 through 47, after Jesus did this, he gives them this, this, this hermeneutic teaching, if you will. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus taught the disciples how to understand Scripture so that they would understand that everything in the Old Testament leads to the death and resurrection of Jesus, of himself. That's how you read the Bible as a Christian. That's how Jesus read the Bible. It's the foundation of the church. It's what what I've told you is the truth here. In Ephesians 2, 19 through 21, the Apostle Paul said this about Christians. He said, So, then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is the truth. This is our foundation. The prophets and the apostles with Christ as the cornerstone. 
Now, I've shared with you this morning the truth of what Jesus thought about the Bible and the Word of God. I've shared with you what He thought about Himself and about the apostles so that now I can tell you the truth concerning what He thought about you or what He thinks about you. I want you to know what Jesus thinks of you. And I want, you to encourage, I want to encourage you to read John chapter 17 this week also because when I read John 17, I see all I need to see in the truth of God's Word on how Jesus sees us. First thing in John 17, do you know what Jesus is doing? He's praying. Do you know who He's praying for? He's praying for you. He's praying. First off, you need to understand, Jesus believes you are worth praying for. We are worth praying for. The focal point of His prayer is not just, oh, be with them that believe, Lord. The focal point of this prayer is for us to have unity. Not just a little bit of unity. Not just, hey, we all love Alabama or we all love Auburn or whatever. Unity as He and the Father are one. That's a much deeper level of unity. That's, that's way below the surface level of unity. That's way beyond handshake, how you doing Sunday morning unity. His prayer for us, as He prays for us, His prayer for unity is that we would be one as He and the Father are one. Another thing I see in John chapter 17 is that we are worth dying for. You are worth dying for. That, that is what makes the truth of God's Word amazing from start to finish. It's a story of people who were created in the image of God, given free will to make their own choices, and even when we choose poorly, whether it was individuals or a whole nation, God has always had a plan for restoration. And it's true today. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you think you may be trapped in, the truth of God's Word can and will set you free. Here's what Jesus thinks of you. That while you were still stuck in sin, He loved you enough to endure the torment of the cross. He's crazy about you. He will do His part. He has done His part. He said, whatever it takes to bring restoration between you and God, I will do. That, that's essentially what He said when He prayed in the garden, Father, not my will but Yours be done. I will do whatever You ask me to do, Lord, Father, so that I can bring salvation to these people. And He wasn't just saying it. He did it. His part was to be the final sacrifice for the sin of the world. For our sin. Our part I tell you all the time that, that we have a part, that God has a part, and if, that if we do our part, God will do His part. Our part is to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've done that, but you've allowed complacency and mediocrity to get into your relationship with God. In that case, your part is to rededicate yourself, to come back to the truth of God's Word. Jesus did His part. If you do your part, God will do His part. His part is that He will forgive your sins as far as the east is to the west. You see, truth is easy to find when you're looking for it. But for some of us, it's hard to accept and live out. It doesn't have to be. It starts with restoration and forgiveness. It starts with how you'll respond to God's Word this morning. Think on these things as we stand and sing our response song. And respond to the truth of God's word accordingly.
Will you stand and sing with us now? As they finish up that, I'd like to say it's always great to be here to worship with you guys this morning. I look forward to sharing lunch with all of you. Uh, and, and here in just a second, I'm going to pray, but we do invite all of our visitors and guests to head on back and grab a table. We'll be back shortly to join you. But now it is time to go. As you go this morning, take what you've heard here today, share it with someone this week, and use that to go to win others for Christ and commit yourself to grow in the truth of God's Word. Jesus believed in the truth of the Scriptures. He believed He was the fulfillment of Scriptures, and He believed that you were worth dying for. The question is, do you believe in Him enough to go to win and commit to grow? Will you sing this last song with us?